This is Kyle Worley. I'm joined by my co-host, uh, co-conspirators. <laughs> You're letting them in on what we just talked about, Kyle. Stop. This is Jen Wilkin and JT English. We're just over here in between episodes, y'all. We just plot how to take over the world. Uh, and if, if we ever release, if, if, if somehow the cloud is catching all that recording. Um, somehow. Think, it's not somehow. They are. It is. Well, yeah, I'm, I just, I'm sure that my little Alexa over here has been listening the whole time. So No doubt. Isn't that the strangest thing? You'll talk about a product and then all of a sudden you're like on Instagram and there's the product. Yep. It's so weird. It's so strange. It is strange. Disconcerting. Discombobulating. But you, do you know what's not disconcerting? The inerrant word of God. Oh, um, I beg to differ. Well, yeah, I guess it depends on what you're reading. Never read Judges, <laughs> I take it. Yeah. yeah. No, I did see somebody post an infographic this past week. I was saw the New this. I, I was hoping we were going to talk about this. And it yeah. was like all these books, uh, all the Old Testament books, how they get incorporated into the New Testament. And Judges has like no mm-hmm. lines going to it. And the person who tweeted it was like, yeah. I guess I, I, he goes, I guess it turns out the New Testament authors were as scared of the old uh, uh, Judges <laughs> as we all are. <laughs> Seems like it. Yep. Seems like it. Well, today, uh, we uh, considering judges, we've been talking about a passage about not passing judgment. Oh, so good, Kyle. Oh, man. That might be the best ever. Well done. I'm a professional. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're looking at Romans 14, verses 13 through 23, um, as we close out Romans 14, as we get closer to the end of the letter here. Uh, JT, why don't you read for us, if you have a Bible. Do you have a Bible? Right you normally here. do these pods. The way that you commentate, it makes me think that you don't typically have your Bible open while we're oh, doing these rude. episodes. It's, it's all in my mind. <laughs> all. Uh, He's memorized it. Perfect. Could you read verses 13 through, let's just go 19. Yep. You got it. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. Wait, wait, wait. Inspiration of the Holy I'm gonna, wait. I'm going to make, I'm going to make us edit this. I think just read the whole thing. It's not that long. No, we don't, we don't have time for those extra four. <laughs> Do you want me to go all the way through? Yeah, read the whole thing. I, li- no, listen, I honestly, I think we should take that time that we would use for more of my thoughts on the passage. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how does that sound? Does that sound bad? That sounds great. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, read the whole thing, JT. Wrap it up. Producer Brad, please do not cut that. I, I just want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Romans 14, verses 13, all the way down to 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat, but do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Man, that's powerful. Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace of joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ as acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is where Kyle wants to jump in, but I'm going to keep going. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do nothing that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. 
for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Super easy content. So glad we get to yeah, that. Yeah, just simple. Mm-hmm. Just simple. Pretty simple stuff here. Um, coming right out of the gate, let us not pass judgment. He's like, therefore, mm-hmm. right? He's been talking about passing judgment. Like he's been, he, he has already been having this conversation in the 12 verses that precede it. So let us not pass judgment, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Well, how does that square with Christian liberty? Mm-hmm. I should be able to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. If you don't want, if you don't want that, then just, you know, that's your business. You step outside. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think too, like it's, a, it's interesting that this conversation is happening now in the book of Romans, because I was reflecting on this after we talked about the earlier part of the chapter, that um, I think one of the reasons we see so much friction within the church today is because you might be, you might want to pass judgment on someone who's in authority over you, but you're powerless to act on whatever you feel in relation to that. Um, But when it comes to our brothers and sisters, we can fall into thinking, oh, okay, well, I can't I can't yell at the government. I mean, I can, I can, but no one's going to care. Or I can't yell at the the person who is in charge at work. Um, but you know who I can yell at? My peers uh, and my Christian peers, because they have right. to extend grace to me if I um, if I accidentally cross a line or, or something like that. And so I do think that we need to recognize that our impulse sometimes to pass judgment on one another is because we consider them at a peer level and therefore um, not worthy of the same respect that we might give to someone who is above us in, in, in whatever hierarchy we find ourselves in. That didn't answer your question. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. But I actually, and I, and candidly, I have to tell the audience, I did step away from my headphones for a second. Because so you have no idea what was- I just said. No, I did hear the last part, and maybe you already said this, but it reminds me of a conversation I was having with Adam Griffin, host of the Family Discipleship Show months ago. Um, There we go. Uh, And uh, we were talking about how in this – oftentimes when we're feeling um, deep fear or anxiety, Mm -hmm. a lot of where that is going, those people are not touchable for us. Like we can't talk to them. Mm -hmm. We can't express our anxiety or concern to them. And so we end up just giving it sideways to everybody else that is around Mm -hmm. us. And so when we think about some of these realities, like a Jew in the church in Rome could not probably, they did not have the political power to go shut down the Roman temples and markets. Right. You know, but so what could they do? Guess who I can shut down? <laughs> this, my Gentile brother in Christ. I could say, you filthy, wicked Gentile who keeps shopping over there at that market in the temple. You know, the meat that's that's offered up over there is unholy meat. You're filthy. Your whole family's filthy, right? So it's like the concern is the Jewish Christian is, is deeply offended by that idolatry. Mm-hmm. The Gentile Christian is no longer convictionally complicit in it. And yet it's almost like this guilt by association and they can tag that person mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like maybe there's a little bit of that going on here. And if there's not a little bit of that going on here, there's a lot of that going on in many Christian communities in our world right now. So Well, and honestly, this is as old as the garden. You know, this is um, the the original Christian community, so to speak of, that we saw in Adam and Eve, you know, when they're operating under the principles post uh, of, of the fall, um, instead of collaborating, they are trying to um, 
to control one another. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's kind of what you can see playing out in churches. It's like the more out of control you feel as a result of sin in the world, um, and the, the more likely you are to go, well, who or what can I control? And yeah. that that's so often the impulse. And I mean, gosh, we saw this. I know you guys saw this pastoring through COVID and we saw this at our church. It's like, we took a beating from people on oh, secondary man. and tertiary issues coming from both directions. And my little theory is that the reason people lashed out at us and the reason that we needed to respond in love um, and not defensiveness is because they were feeling out of control and they couldn't yell at the schools for shutting down and they couldn't yell at, you know, you name it, the government for deciding X, Y, or Z um, or at Dr. Fauci or whoever it was they were mad at in a particular day. And you know who they could yell at? Us. And they felt safe yelling at us in a way that they didn't feel like, like they were able to elsewhere. And so, you know, in, in my mind, it was a very clear opportunity to try as best as we were able to walk out this idea of, of dealing um, with, a, with a weaker brother. Yeah, I think it's easy for us in as, as, I mean, this isn't just in terms of Christian ministry or uh, Christian leaders, all of us want to find joy in specific elements of the Christian life. And we want everybody else to find that same kind of joy in that specific thing. (laughs) And if they don't, then they must be heathens. They must not find the same joy. And again, this could, this could, could transfer to a a conversation on politics. It could transfer to a conversation on food laws and what we want to eat and enjoy what Mm -hmm. we drink. But what Paul is saying here is that your joy is not found in making sure everybody else finds your joy in a secondary issue. Mm -hmm. Your joy should be found in everybody else finding joy in God. And if you're unwilling to give up your joy in this secondary issue by willing to show self-constraint, then your joy isn't in God. Your joy is in something that God has given you, which is itself idolatry. And so if you're unwilling to restrain yourself from a good thing that God has given you for the sake of your brother, then your joy isn't in God. Your joy is in something God has given you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's appropriate for all Christians and to realize, why am I so bad out of shape about this? Mm-hmm. Why am I so frustrated about this specific thing? Or why does this brother get mad at me for doing this thing? Oh, it's because his joy isn't in God, but actually my joy isn't either. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to restrain ourselves from creaturely things. That's exactly right. Because the creator is better than these creaturely things. Yep. And so when, when we can say like these creaturely things, I actually don't need them. I need God more than these creaturely things. And I want to invite you to enjoy God, not these creaturely things, is when we're able to show self-restraint. Mm-hmm. One of, uh, some of the language that's invoked here can feel a little bit foreign to us. Verse 14 and forward, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you... <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not... Wait, do you you really don't like Whataburger? No, I love Whataburger. It's a joke. I love Whataburger. It's my it's one of my favorite hamburgers. Okay, just great. saying it's that, a it's a it's a there would be a weaker brother who might say something different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> grieve. <laughs> for your brother is grieved by what you eat. You are no longer walking in love, but what you eat by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. This language of cleanliness. What's the cultural backdrop here? Like, just like let's set the stage because maybe you're hearing this. You're like, whoa, why all this language of cleanliness mm-hmm. out of out of nowhere, mm-hmm. right? But it's not out of nowhere. Where's it coming from? Yeah, well, I mean, this is, you know, actually, if you guys think back to how Jackie Perry promised us on the show that she was going to write a, a, a Bible study over Leviticus. Hey, Jackie, mm-hmm. how you doing? Um, it, yeah. It's referring back to those cleanliness laws of the Old Testament, which in the mind of the Jew 
are the way that you live out the holiness of God. Like you, you actual cleanliness was so closely tied to spiritual cleanliness um, that in the New Testament church, the Jewish portion of the church is going to have a really hard time separating that understanding from from their their practice and yeah. uh, and and then conversely you know we, we know in the book of acts that peter has that dream um i believe we did an episode entitled pigs in a blanket or blanket full of bacon or something like that that Back when I was a lot more when creative were, yeah, with our episode Before we killed your creativity. But the whole mm-hmm. point of, of Peter's dream is to tell a Jew that these, these markers of cleanliness um, served a purpose for a time. Um, and that in, but for a Gentile believer, they are, they are not going to make sense. And, so, and they don't need to make sense because Christ has fulfilled them. So it doesn't mean that Jewish Christians needed to just cut off any usage or obedience to cleanliness laws. They might still observe them for matters of conscience or because they find that they are a helpful liturgy for them. Um, but to impose that liturgy on a Gentile believer who has no reference point for them would actually potentially be a stumbling block or a faith crusher as, as Paul. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilia Strotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. talking about here in Romans. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, And uh, the cleanliness laws are thorough. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar, Mm -hmm. how familiar are the Pentateuch. (laughs) It's a lot of skin disorders and they're (laughs) very, very, very (laughs) thorough. And so uh, there was a lot that was factored into that. And and the dietary laws um, were very closely associated with those cleanliness laws, particularly because of animal usage and how to like, 
how to clean up an animal, how to clean yourself up once you've touched a dead animal, how to offer a right sacrifice. So keep in mind, there's a lot of overlap in the in in Israel uh, between uh, cleanliness laws, mm-hmm. dietary laws, and sacrificial laws. Mm-hmm. We can kind of see those as like, oh, there are these three categories that were very neatly divided. Mm-hmm. The Jewish mind did not divide those categories that right. way. They weren't like, here's the boundary of the cleanliness laws, and here's where the dietary laws start. It's like, no, these were all overlapping circles in terms of orienting their life around the presence of Yahweh in the midst of the camp, uh, pre the land, and then the temple. Um, And so it's very significant to understand that the invocation of cleanliness here isn't just to invoke the cleanliness laws. Mm -hmm. It's to invoke the law Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as like a unit. Um, and Paul's had much to say about that through the course of this letter and in others. Um, well, and remember, like Paul has gone to lengths to 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 differentiate the first order and the second or, order kind of things. Like yeah. I, I'm laughing in my head thinking about all of the New Testament lists that throw us off so much where Paul will say, you know, don't gossip and slander and also don't go to orgies. You know, it's like, right. whoa, why'd you throw orgies in there? But if you think about it, it's like, work. <laughs> Was that something that was going to come on my radar? But it was absolutely— yeah, It wasn't on my mind, Paul, yeah, but, but thank you. <laughs> but you can see, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, who he's writing to, these Jewish and Gentile mixed communities, he's throwing out a list right. that's going to hit everybody in the room, right? The Jew's going to be like, I would never. And the Gentile's going to be like, oh, I definitely did. Or, you know— And they would have considered that a religious practice. That wasn't yeah. like sexual immorality. That's it's right. like, this is how we worship. It was an expression of worship. And so um, those, those lists start to make a lot more sense. And I think we tend to sort of like— just take them for our own uh, uh, current application and say, see, um, gossip is just as bad as orgies. And it's like, no, I mean, (laughs) don't talk about people, but also orgies are worse. Okay, guys. And so he's, but, but what he's doing is he's appealing to whatever form of legalism used to bind you. And he's calling you into an obedience of conscience, um, which is lovely and also shocking. Yeah, it is. And I, I you, 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 you heard yeah. it here first, guys. Orgies are worse than gossip. I'm glad. You know, we're almost 150 episodes in. That's how long I'm just, I'm just here to help with the clarifications, everyone. Mm-hmm. So ver- uh, verse 17 has, has been a, a kind of a longtime favorite verse for me, especially as we think about some of the language that we've used in Kyle for you at Forge, the training program at the Village, the Institute here for me. Like the one of the main frameworks, spectic. The, the spectacles, the the lenses that we're trying to give people is what is the kingdom of God from Genesis chapter one to Revelation chapter 22? And we use language like dwelling, dominion, and dynasty or people, presence, purpose, and place. And those all kind of mean the same thing, but the kingdom of God is ultimately what God establishes. It's what is lost. It's what God reestablishes in Christ and the coming of his spirit and what he will eventually establish in the coming of the kingdom. And so for a Jewish framework, and now for a Gentile framework, coming into this kingdom of allegiance towards Christ, Paul actually doesn't use kingdom of God language hardly ever. This is one of the few times he used it. This is much more common in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And so this is kind of a new, a new thing for Paul to, to, it's not new to him, but he's, he doesn't use this framework a lot, but he's, he's appropriating another biblical category of the kingdom of God language. And, and Jen, you just mentioned this. He's reminding them. It's not that, because like, so verse 17, 14, uh, verse 17 says this for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And if you're a Jew, you're like, what? Mm-hmm. That's exactly That's what exactly Ecclesiastes what is. That's exactly what it is, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. So this is like a, I think a common, you know, maybe preacher problem that Paul might have is he's not necessarily saying it's not, he's not saying like these two things are opposed to each other. He's saying you, you've substituted eating and drinking for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And the eating and drinking laws were meant to bring peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in Leviticus and in the kingdom of God. Like those things were, were meant to help you understand the peace of God, the joy in God, the mm-hmm. presence of the Holy Spirit with you. They aren't, they aren't them themselves. They were a part of it. And so if those things are now contributing to you not having peace with your brother, not having joy with your brother, not having peace with your brother, then it's no longer the kingdom of God you're living in, but the kingdom of this world. Mm -hmm. And so what Paul is saying is the kingdom of God is the primary category that you need to be thinking through, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be joy, peace, and love in the Holy Spirit. If the eating and drinking laws are now contributing to the division in the kingdom, then it's no longer the kingdom that you're in. Mm -hmm. So elevate the kingdom not the the laws that, that were meant to be a part of the kingdom. Yeah. Okay. Can we talk about verse 22? No. Yeah. Do we have to wait? No, let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Because he says, he says, that, well, let me just back up. I'll do verse 20 through 22. He says, don't for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Okay, right. So he's saying, hey, don't let your conviction become a, a stumbling mm-hmm. block to someone understanding who God is. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make any one Make another stumble by what he eats. It is good to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. So like, let's let's bear in mind what kind of faith he's talking about. He's not talking about faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. He's talking right. about the conviction that you have around a secondary or tertiary matter. And what does he say? He says, keep it between yourself and the Lord. Don't become an evangelist for things of second or third order. Um, mm-hmm. But instead, and then he, and then this, this statement that he follows it up with is a beatitude. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, he, I think he does it on purpose. I think he wants them to remember, you know, that Jesus, had, you know, pushed on motive over, over outward practice. He says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. And I think that the ESV language is a little clunky because it's blessed is the one who has no reason to condemn himself for what he approves. In other words, when you start making your big deal a public big deal, you actually um, exercise, you bring yourself under condemnation. You stand before the judgment seat of God because you have taken something that is a matter of personal conviction and imposed it on someone else. Yep. So he basically says, don't flap your yap. Mm, there you go. Does that mean we should never talk about secondary or tertiary issues? I think it depends. I mean, you get to the end of the passage and Paul says, what doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about your secondary issue to make it a primary issue for someone else? Mm -hmm. Then you shouldn't talk about it. If you're talking about it, that it's actually going to lead you to greater faith, understanding of nuance, complexity, and love for your brother, then we can certainly talk about those things. And we do that a lot on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Like, what Paul is not saying is no longer bring up disagreement, no longer bring mm-hmm. up, he's, he's telling us how to do it, mm-hmm. how to engage our brothers and sisters with charity over these secondary things, proceeding from a place of faith, not a place of saying, I know that I'm right and I need you to know that I'm right. But when we talk about this in practical terms, like what are good rules for engagement on any discussion? So like when I hear him say, hey, your first impulse should be to be quiet, 
you know, mm-hmm. slow to speak, as James would say. Um, it makes me think that um, the first place to coach ourselves into good dialogue around secondary or tertiary issues is to to listen first um, mm-hmm. to each other and 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 also to wait until you're invited into having a conversation versus just blurt stuff out on Facebook or wherever. Um, and and I, I don't know that, I think a lot of what is missing in the way that we process these kinds of things within the church is just that none of us has been taught how to have a respectful dialogue. And this is what, you know, we've talked about, like we try to, we try to do that on the show and not even like, we don't like map it out at the beginning of an episode and go, how can we have respectful dialogue around something? We have relationship with each other. We genuinely like and love each other. And therefore, when we have disagreements, we hope that they would play out according to these guidelines. Um but like, what have you found to be some best practices of how to engage in charitable dialogue with other believers? Things like listening, things like waiting to share your own thoughts till you've really heard someone out. Yeah, I think the listening thing is crucial. I think another big part of it is, have I measured this thought against God's word? Mm-hmm. For the Christian, we think theologically first. It's part of our birthright into mm-hmm. the kingdom. And I think a lot of times where these secondary and tertiary matters, at least in the conversations I end up in, for, even for myself, I'm guilty of it as, as much as anyone is, is I've taken a soundbite that I have not properly put through the crucible of God's word. Mm-hmm. And now I'm ready to just get it out there and like, let's just talk about that. Mm-hmm. So I think that listening is certainly true, but I think listening to God's word first and then going, have I put this idea or consideration or feeling or response or opinion or concern, if I put that through the prism of God's word, have I looked at it and evaluated it there? If I haven't, then even if I listen for a lot of hours to what you think about it, and I haven't listened to what God's word has to say about it, mm-hmm. I'm still not ready to go. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I can listen, I can ask you a hundred questions about your thoughts on the matter. Uh, and that there's a lot we should we should ask good questions we should be curious we should be humble we should listen but at the end of the day for the christian we go what does the Bible, what does god have to mm-hmm. say about this mm-hmm. yeah that's where we start mm-hmm. not what not what do i have to say or even necessarily what do you have to say but what does god have to say and then how can we talk about that together well that's certainly true i do think though we have to be careful when talking about wisdom issues to say that the Bible definitively says how to think about, I mean, I think part of the issue here is that these are gray areas. And so, mm. and I actually think one of the ways that these conversations can go sideways is when we start using the word biblical. You know, like mm. people will ask me all the time, like what's what's the biblical position on, and it'll be something that there is, and, and for me to say, there's not actually a biblical position on that right? There are wisdom principles you can apply to it, but there's not a position on like um, how you should educate your kids or how you should, you know, some of these things that we tend to squabble over. Um, And the, and wisdom principles are applied situationally. And so um, I think that's probably, you know, what ties in with what's going on here. So like you need to have a, I think to your point, Kyle, if we don't understand how wisdom operates, um, then we, we will think that to be biblical is to find a verse that justifies my view instead of being biblical to be to operate from a place of discernment according to my best reading of a particular situation. Would you say that? I agree. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I think one of the things that we can also do as, and again, it's important, the last couple of episodes we've been talking about secondary issues. 
We're not talking about, is there a biblical position on the Trinity? Is there a biblical position on God being authoritative? We're not talking about that. We're talking about secondary wisdom, discernment issues. For us to all remember that we've all been in situations before. Maybe it was a dinner party or Thanksgiving dinner or a coffee with a brother or sister from church. We've all been in those moments before where we thought, I, I'm going to win this argument. Like, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to show this person that I'm right and they're going to know. And maybe that's just me. Who knows? Um, it is never as satisfying as you think mm-hmm. it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It is never as like you kind of walk in, you think, man, this is going to feel really good. I've got my verses lined up. I've got my Jen Wilkin quotes in the queue and I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. It, it just never, it never it never feels as good as you mm-hmm. think that it's going to mm-hmm. feel. And for us to realize what actually feels much better is demonstrating love, mm-hmm. welcoming yeah. verse mm-hmm. one, uh, for chapter 14, verse one, being gentle and kind, submitting yourself, keeping this as Jen highlighted for us a moment ago, between you and God, mm-hmm. that when you walk out of that Thanksgiving dinner or when you walk out of dinner with your friends or that coffee shop where you might have some dissension or disagreement, or a secondary issue, it's always better to maintain unity than it is to highlight dissension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, that's I, we kind of got to the what I wanted to close us with. We got there a little bit faster than I anticipated. I but I, hey, that's great. I love it. And I do think verse 22, um, well, I think verse 22 and verse 19 are pretty crucial. I mean, verse 19, we kind of moved through it pretty quickly, but I feel like if there was a life verse for our moment, mm-hmm. Um, right now, or maybe something we should all put in our Christian Twitter bios, uh, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that is a good rule of thumb for our interactions with one another. Um, how do we consider what does it look like to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding in this conversation mm-hmm. with this Christian? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do that, sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. I think this is you know, it's a message for our moment. And, um, we talked a little about this off, um, off mic or before we started recording, but it's like, there are different seasons in the church when, when certain messages, um, receive more emphasis than others or need to receive more emphasis than others. And as we've been going through the book of Romans, I think if we got snarled around who is true Israel, or if we got snarled around predestination, um, and let these these verses sort of slip by us in 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 the interest of quote mm. bigger theological concerns, then we would fail to miss the emphasis that is necessary for us today in this moment. Um, it was, and I, I love that. Like it was so necessary for them and for them. This is a great example of how. Um, the takeaway from an epistle that was for them and for them trans, translates almost directly onto our current situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't have to wonder what to do with it. We don't have to wonder how to carry it forward um, 2,000 years and how ironic that we would still be in the same place battling a lot of the same issues, only just with different skins on them than they had back in the day. Yeah, that's right. And, and I'm just going to mention one last thing here. I, I could talk about this for an hour, but I'll only talk about it for 90 seconds. Because people who sometimes don't emphasize the Trinitarianism or think the Trinity isn't a biblical idea or it comes later in church history, Paul is rooting all of this still in the doctrine of God. We talked about this with Jackie 
Uh, but here in verses 17 and 18, you see each person of the Trinity mentioned in explicitly to highlight why this is important. So you see verse 17, for the kingdom of God, the Father, it doesn't say the Father, but that's what Paul means, is not a matter of righteousness and drinking, uh, uh, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the Father, the Holy Spirit, in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God, approved by men. So you could you could spend a lot of time talking about how all of this is ultimately rooted in Trinitarian relationships of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are rooted in relationships of, of to use a technical term, kind of perichoresis, of mutual indwelling, of loving and caring for one another. And so therefore, the community that the triune God is creating is not a community that's built up by dissension or division, but is a community that's built up in this triune love that has always always existed between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Mm. Listen, uh, we are going to continue our study in Romans. We have two more episodes in this wonderful letter: one on episode, uh, one on chapter fifteen which is the next episode, and then one on chapter 16. Then we have a couple of Q&A episodes. If you're looking to find Knowing Faith, if you're thinking, well, I just got – somebody just sent me one of these episodes a couple of weeks ago. I haven't been following along with Romans. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can find it wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those wonderful places. Listen, if you're a leader in the life of a church and you're wondering, huh, I've heard you guys talk about Bible studies and training programs and forums and cohorts, and how do I get involved? and something like that. I want to learn how to do that in our church. Well, Jen and JT and myself, we run a cohort called Training the Church. You can find out more information at trainingthechurch.com. It's geared and aimed at church leaders and applications for our fall 2022 cohort are open now. So you can go to trainingthechurch.com, find out more information there. If you want some more behind the scenes stuff, newsletter, dedicated episodes, special releases, all sorts of other fun stuff, you can check us out on patreon.com slash knowing faith. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.